The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. All right, turn me, if you would, to Matthew 22, verse 15. That's where we're going to start tonight. And uh, this week, we will be answering our first submitted question for our Curious series. Uh, and that question is actually two. The question is, would Jesus vote? And if so, who would he vote for? I'm assuming this means for president, and so uh, we're going to treat it that way. <clears throat> now, before we get into this, there is something that I want to show you. Steph, can you help me out? Take a look at that right there. Now, what's this got to do with what we're doing? I got on Google, and I typed in, cutest baby animals, and this came up. Now, why did I do that? Because I happen to be aware of scientific research that says when you look at a baby animal with a large face, or a small face and large eyes, that you have feel-good chemicals that dump into your brain as soon as you do that. And so the very fact that you've looked at this fuzzy little bunny, some of you are imagining yourself holding it right now, there should be some pleasure chemicals that have dumped down into your cerebellum, it's swishing around right now, going down your brainstem. And what I need you to do is if at any point during this sermon you start to feel a little agitated, I want you to think back to the bunny, okay? <laughs> you can all name the bunny right now, I want you to imagine yourself holding it, how soft would it be? Look how soft that thing looks. Is that not the cutest little animal you've ever seen though? Come on. Uh, I don't really trust my own instincts on cute animals, so I asked Natalie. She confirmed it is cute. So, uh, No, but in all seriousness, uh, this is likely the craziest thing I've ever tried to preach on. And um, the guy that asked this question is a really good friend of mine, and I thought when he sent it to me, he was messing with me. So uh, come to find out he wasn't, and, then, and I thought about it some more. Yeah, you can take that down. <coughs> come to find out he wasn't, and... Um, when I thought about it more, I thought, you know what, that question can be a springboard for some really helpful uh, discussion for us as, as a church family, so it's good. The other wild card I want to make you guys aware of is that, uh, parents, I did sanitize my hands multiple times before the service. Uh, I have been wretchedly sick this week, and I'm still coming up out of it, and so uh, in an attempt to make it through a sermon, I'm on um, enough cough medicine to take the sniffles away from a baby rhino. So, <laughs> this <laughs> is probably more scripted than it typically would be for two reasons. Again, this is the craziest content I've ever tried to preach on. It's a minefield. And uh, also, you know, when you're on cough medicine, you never know what you'll say. So, um, <laughs> I'm going to do my best to stick to this, and I'm really hoping no, no crazy stuff happens. So... All right, amen. That's all my prefacing. So we're going to talk about uh, politics and religion. Amen. Let's read Matthew 22, 15 through 22 in the same setting, all at once. Come on. Let's do it. It's going to be fun. <clears throat> then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? 
But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed. And leaving him, they went away. That they did. All right. In all I've read on Jesus and issues of politics, and it's a lot, this is where many have gone to try and develop a position, uh, determining where Jesus would go or where he's coming from. And I believe that some have stretched this set of verses to say more than the master ever intended to here. There are those who take Jesus' affirmation of paying the poll tax as an affirmation of voting. This was not a tax that had anything to do with voting. The Roman Empire was a dictatorship. Nobody was voting for anything. This was a head tax. Essentially means if you have a head and you're of a certain age, you pay it. Uh, And it was the one most hated by the Jews. It was essentially a tax that was taken from the subverted people groups that the Roman Empire had conquered to pay for the privilege of being ruled by them. Every time the Jews paid this tax, it was like rubbing salt in the wound reminding them that they were a conquered people. And this is how these guys were trying to trap Jesus, because if he said they should pay it, he would be seen by those around as denying God's sovereignty over Israel. And if he said they shouldn't pay it, they would have reason to accuse him of treason against Rome before Pilate, which is really what they were hoping for, because uh, they're looking to a reason to accuse him because they don't want to kill him themselves. Remember how it ends up going down. They want to get the Romans to do their dirty work for him, so... They're trying to catch him up. As was often the case, Jesus answers the question with a question, which leads to a deeply profound answer. His question, whose image is on the coin? They replied, Caesar's. Jesus then says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. This, of course, leaves them no room for accusation. Everybody's mind is blown. But it also has some deep implications. Now, the way this ties to voting is that some people see this as evidence of Jesus' involvement and engagement with the civic system of his day. You guys see that? That's where some go. Um, Jesus didn't say a whole lot about voting. I can kind of tuck this in there and still talk. They teach you that in preacher school. I didn't go. Um, Stick to the script, Vince. All right. You see what I'm talking about? So he paid the tax, so they're seeing that as kind of an endorsement of him being a part of the the civic uh, system of his day. That's, That's what people are drawing from this. Now, he did obviously pay the taxes required of him by the laws of the land in the place and time that he was commissioned by God to walk upon the earth. He did pay the tax, yes. But I believe that... Using this example of Jesus obeying a law to answer the question of whether or not if he were walking among us here in America today, he would exercise the right to vote is inferring too much. It also misses the real point. The most quoted and emphasized portion of this answer from Jesus is the give to Caesar what is Caesar's part. Jesus dropped a bomb in this answer, but that wasn't it. 
How did he determine if the coin for the tax should go to Caesar? He asked, whose image is on it? So, implicit in the second half of his statement, give to God that which is God's, is this question. How do we figure out what is God's? Well, what is God's image on? You and me. Every single one of us. Every part of all that we have belongs to God. And that is inferred in and really the biggest part of what Jesus is saying there. They're like, well, should we, should we pay the tax? Well, whose who's image is on the coin? Caesar's? Well, yeah. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Genesis 1 tells us that God made us in his image, that his image is pressed upon us, that it is a part of our very makeup. And so uh, all of us belongs to him. And that's very valuable in navigating this subject, to understand that point. While I don't think this set of verses is as helpful as some do in determining whether Jesus would vote in our elections, I do think it does a couple helpful things. First, it should set for us a precedent of priority. When asking about paying the tax to the governing authorities, Jesus would not comment on that without also mentioning where our highest allegiance should be, that being with the God who made us. It is very easy for us to get overly focused on the parade of political issues and candidates constantly marching all around us and to forget there is a king over every king and a lord over every lord, and his name is Jesus. Amen. The second thing it should do is it should help us to not commit the great sin that so many often do, and especially when it comes to politics. We tend to reverse the order that Jesus taught us here. Instead of acknowledging that God's image is on us and joyfully surrendering then to his sovereign lordship, we tend to project our image upon God and specifically upon Jesus fashioning him into an idealized version of ourselves. We then like to try and find examples of things Jesus said or did that supports our particular position. The wiser and more humble approach would be to look at all Jesus said and did and then humbly pray, asking God to help us understand how those things should affect our positions. Do you see the difference? Oftentimes we want to take what we think projected upon Jesus or find something he said somewhere that would back up what I already think. What might be a wiser approach would be go see what Jesus said and did and then see how that stacks up against our positions or let our positions be formed by what it is Jesus has said and done. Amen. You're excited about that. I figured this was going to be one of those sermons where they'd have to, you know, really watch the acoustics and stuff because your guys' reactions would be so joyous. All right. So, would Jesus vote if he were an American today? Well, you have faithful Christians who have looked at it and said, yes, definitely. Jesus obviously worked within the civic structures of his day, and thus he would do the same now. You have other faithful Christians who have said, Jesus railed against the corruption of the establishment of his day. He was a revolutionary, and he would not have participated in the broken system we have today. 
So who's right? I believe neither. I do not believe the scriptures give us the answer in a sure enough way that we are not leaning heavily upon guesswork that is shaded by our own positions to determine this for sure one way or the other. Thus, I believe it is unwise to take a firm position on this. I believe it is okay to have an opinion with the humble realization that it is just that, an opinion. The real question behind this question for most people is, should we as followers of Jesus vote? I think implicit in this question, would Jesus vote, who would he vote for, is kind of like I'm looking for direction based on that, okay? Um, and so the question behind this is, should we as followers of Jesus vote, right? Is, is, that, is that what a lot of people were looking to hear probably out of would Jesus vote? That's what I'm looking to understand, okay? I believe the question should not be, will you vote or not? The question is, why will you vote or not? If you are voting because your hope for the future is placed in a political candidate, then you are likely in error. If you are not voting because you simply have no idea what's going on and are oblivious to the issues that are affecting the culture around you, then you are likely in error. If you are voting because you believe it is an effective part of how you can be salt and light to the world by voting for candidates that will protect religious liberties and stand for moral uprightness, then you are wise. If you are not voting because you understand the issues and either your convictions won't allow you to vote for any of the current candidates or you believe your effectiveness in sharing the gospel is most helped by staying out of the political fray, you are wise. There are sinful motivations to vote and to not vote. There are godly motivations for the same. Each person must be led by their convictions and the guidance of the Holy Spirit on this issue. I want to read you a quote from the book Onward. It's a recent book by Russell Moore. Our vote for president is less important than our vote to receive new members into our churches. The reception of members into the church marks out the future kings and queens of the universe. Our church membership roles say to the people on them and to the outside world, these are those we believe will inherit the universe as joint heirs with Christ. Now here at Love City, we don't vote on church members. We put them through a process and then church leadership makes a determination on whether they're fit for membership or not. But that's not really the point. The point Russell Moore is making is that we must see politics, policies, and governments of man in their proper place. Subject to and of lesser importance than the supreme and sovereign kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. One caveat, I only read excerpts of um, Onward. I didn't read the whole thing. Uh, I, I'm going to read it now that I read the excerpts. It seems like it's excellent. I also want to say, I don't want to misrepresent Russell Moore. I think Russell Moore would probably be a click to the right of the position I'm presenting today. I think he would say that um, the title citizen is something that gives you kind of a, a heavy-laden biblical responsibility that you should vote. I'm coming short of that and saying I believe each Christian's convictions one way or the other. I think there's godly motivations to vote and to not vote, and there's sinful motivations for the same, and, and I think you have to work that out 
with your conscience and by the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay? How we doing? I charted a course through that minefield that left room for everyone to be upset or offended about something. And so this is halftime, and I want you to remember the bunny. You guys remember that thing? It was so cute. Put it up again. Come on. Let's look at it. Goodness. Can you imagine us holding that thing right here next to your neck? Be so nice. All right. We hit the reset button. Everyone cool? All right. Even if not, we're going to keep going. All right. The second question was, if he were to vote, who would Jesus vote for? And uh, I think tonight is uh, a good opportunity for me to announce my candidacy for the presidency of the United States of America. (laughs) I think the answer to the question then is obvious. (laughs) Just kidding. So... Who would Jesus vote for? Well, in, in the, the way our system works, Jesus would have to pick a party first, right? So what party would he be in? Well, that depends on who you ask because most people believe that Jesus, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and every other influential historical figure that you can think of would back their party. Think about it. Everybody quotes the people that everyone respects, and everyone wants to jockey for... Uh, kind of having them in, in, in their club. And so what party would Jesus be a part of? Well, it, it absolutely depends on who you ask because I think everyone thinks Jesus would be in their party, right? Including the independents, including the Green Party. Yeah, man, Jesus is with us, you know? <laughs> Cough medicine. <laughs> this is going good. There's been an interesting shift <clears throat> in America recently. The latest figures that I saw said that 42% of people identify as independent, 29% as Democrat, 26% as Republican. This is the first time in history that more people identify as independent than with a certain party. So it's a major shift. So let's just say Jesus was an independent for the sake of argument moving forward. Then he would, have to look, <clears throat> he would have to look at all the candidates and see which one's positions line up most closely with what he would say and what he represents, right? Well, here's the problem with that approach. Think about this with me just for a second. Let's be honest. Is there any evidence that there is a slight possibility some politicians sometimes say one thing while running for office and then do another once in office? I'm hoping we could take a vote on that one and and get 100% participation on the yes column, okay? If not, then, you know, I want to visit you in the woods where you live because that's the only way you'd come away with that understanding, okay? All right. Yes, there is. There is a chance of that. And so we know from several encounters, including the one that we read about here, that Jesus... um, that he knew what was going on in the minds of, and, and hearts of people who were trying to kind of get over on him or whatever. Jesus had this ability to perceive past what was being said, right? Because these guys came 
and, 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 the, and what they came spitting would have worked on most of us. They said, Jesus, we know you're wise. Ooh, and you defer to no one. You're your own man, Jesus. You're the man. Please tell us what you think. And Jesus is like, you nasty vipers, hypocrites, right? Saw right through it. So Jesus had this ability, this supernatural ability, this discernment to not be hoodwinked by anybody, and he pretty much knew what was going on in the hearts of people as they were, you know, coming at him with whatever. So here's the problem. Without the ability to perceive truth and intentions like Jesus can, there's no way that we could presume to speak for him on this issue. Now, because you could try to look at each candidate and what you got on the surface and try to line it up most with the grid of your perception of what Jesus would say on a given thing, but I, I, even, even that approach doesn't work because Jesus sees past that, right? So how are we going to talk for him on this? I don't think we can. Now, I've seen many people take their assertions and assumptions based on what they think they know and try to make a case for some candidate being the only possible choice for someone who follows Jesus. They look at the candidate who lines up with their values, and they think that person will be the best choice to help America succeed. There are several problems with that approach. Remember the bunny. Problem number one, <clears throat> the complexity of the issues. The issues facing America today are both numerous and complex. Foreign policy, economic, social programs, taxes, immigration, education, and many more. Part of the problem is that the scriptures do not inform us directly on how to navigate many of these issues, and so we are left to apply the principles we are given to the specific situations we find ourselves in at this time. The reality is that no party or candidate does, or likely ever will, no party or candidate does, or likely ever will, line up 100% with what the wisdom of God would dictate on a given issue. Candidates are sinners with blind spots, and parties are made up of people with blind spots. And unfortunately, Jesus is not running for president of the good old U.S. of A. That's the only way we're getting a perfect candidate. And he's not running. Much of the discussion about candidates and issues has devolved into a back-and-forth exchange of one-line zingers and single-sentence memes that have no possibility of taking into account the nuance and multifaceted nature of these things. That's the problem. The memes are funny, guys. I get it. Like, I chuckle at them too, you know, because sometimes they're a good burner. All right? And don't feel bad. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what a meme is in case you're here and don't know what that is. And I don't want you to feel bad if you don't know what it is because I actually had to get on Urban Dictionary this week and look up a phrase because I did not know what it means, and I realized, I realized how old I am. Because <laughs> I, I was like, I really wanted to like think I could just through inference or like figure it out by context of how it's used. Nope. Had to Google it. <clears throat> okay, so a meme is those pictures you see. It's got typically words on the top, words on the bottom. Sometimes it's a bunch of words, but it's no more than a couple sentences, and, and this, is the, this is how people are firing their shots on these deeply, you know, issues like immigration, education, social reform. If, if, that's, if that's the context of the conversation, you're not sitting down with somebody and really understanding perspectives, you're just kind of throwing your one-line zinger burners back and forth, 
that's going to make it really hard to come to some agreement. And uh, that's, that's one problem with um, somebody taking, trying to take their values and say, okay, well then, you know, this is, this is Jesus' candidate. Okay, the second problem. Second problem is the bitterness and partisanship that has come to characterize the American political system. So much of the process of electing officials is like a series of cage matches where opponents fight to the death instead of fellow countrymen coming together to find solutions to our collective problems. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the best at destroying those who oppose them. We cannot just blame politicians for the divisive and harsh environment that is developed in the political arena. The reality is that politicians are often just mirrors, reflecting back the posture and rhetoric of their constituents. Want to see what we've become as a people? Look at those who represent us. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness in the earth. We are too easily lulled into the foolish slumber of the comfortable. We forget that mankind has a common enemy. His name is Satan. And his goals are strife and division because any good military strategist will tell you, if you can divide, you can conquer. We must learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak when we discuss issues that we disagree on. It's the old two, two ears, one mouth. God's a good designer. He did it on purpose. The third problem with what I described above, somebody taking all of their positions and deciding who Jesus, you know, who everyone that follows Jesus should vote for. I'm giving you the reasons why that doesn't work, in case you forgot where we are. The third problem is an assumption of God's continual favor upon America. <clears throat> you, you, some of you are really going to need the bunny on this one, guys. Think about that thing. Huh? It's cute. All right. God does not owe America or Americans anything. And we should not assume that propelling America forward into our, into our definition of greatness is his plan. Okay, all right. Nobody rushed the stage yet. So. Romans 13 tells us the authorities are established by God. Ultimately, whoever serves the Lord purposes in the earth will become president. However, as with Egypt and Babylon of old, sometimes God's purposes are fulfilled by a powerful nation being humbled before the world. How does that work? How does God establish, as Romans 13 says, all, all, all of authorities? How does that work? Does God control the ballot machines? Does he make people vote a certain way? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. But there's lots of examples of God getting out of the way and letting people have what they think they want and then people suffering because they refuse to heed his warnings. That's all through the scriptures. God's overarching redemptive purposes may be best served by revival in America, and I, I'm all for that option, right? That's option A to me. I hope 
that we can do such a good job loving God and loving people, and we can do such a good job preaching the gospel with our lives and words in every single place that we go, and I'm hoping that the love of God just pours forth into the streets of Cincinnati and every major city across America that people fall to their knees and declare God as their Lord and Savior. I'm so thrilled to even possibly think about option A is God being glorified by revival in America. Yes and amen. But he may also be glorified by the humbling of America. People's hearts may be turned towards God by the election of a godly leader as they are inspired by their example. Or people's hearts may be turned towards God by the election of a godless leader as they suffer under their rule. And if you're sitting there thinking, nah, God wouldn't do that. Friends, why did did Israel go into captivity? Because they were stiff-necked, rebellious people. They kept rebelling against God over and over and over again. And his love to them was to break them and send them into captivity so they yearned for him again. Listen, man, I get it. I know that's not like rah-rah, you know, Jesus on a bald eagle, um, (laughs) the way we tend to look at it. But, (laughs) And I'm not in any way anti-American. I am the most thankful guy you'll ever meet that I was born here. I know how blessed and prosperous I am uh, in, in, uh, you know, relation to the rest of the world, and I am not ungrateful for that, but... I'm a Christian before I'm American. I belong to Jesus first, so that's where this is coming from. Praise God. The key point here is that as followers of Jesus, we should care about the condition of the culture we are called to reach, but our highest concern should be for the advancement of God's kingdom. These are only a few of the reasons I believe it would be unwise to try to pick a candidate that we think Jesus would endorse. I believe it is sinful and manipulative when Christian leaders use their influence to try and bully people into voting a certain way. I have also seen Christian leaders make prophetic predictions, just so you know that's in quotations in my notes, about elections with varied degrees of accuracy. I'm not saying it is not possible for God to reveal who would be president to someone. He absolutely could do that. But if you're going to claim prophetic knowledge from God, you'd better be 100% accurate. That's all I'm saying. Don't run around saying God told me this and then, oh, well, you know, there's this other factor I didn't think of. Nope. It's not how it works. False prophets in the Old Testament got stoned, brother. So slow that roll. Don't run around saying, I got a word from God, and this is the next president, and then come to find out that doesn't happen, and, you know, I had food poisoning or something. Well, (laughs) sort that out before you, you know, make God look like he's schizophrenic, or, you know, you want to stand and say, this is a word from the Lord, and then it end up not coming. Don't, just don't, just don't do that, period. Period. 
we would, be lo- we would be wise to look to our king as we navigate this season of our country electing a president. He was perfect, glorious, powerful, and always actually right, and yet humble at the same time. As disciples of Jesus, we must seek to be peacemakers and not get overly wrapped up in the hype of politics. Because at the end of the day, God may use politicians to accomplish his purposes, but his purposes are summarized in his gospel. God the Father is about reconciling sinful humanity to himself by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ the Son through the power of the Spirit. He is working all things towards this glorious end, us and him forever. All tribes, tongues, and nations join together in an eternal chorus, declaring the glory, majesty, and wonder of our Creator, Savior, and King. Amen. This is why we must stay focused here and now on the true answer to the problems we face. The gospel not only changes a person's eternity, it changes them internally. What do you think the best chance we have is of stopping corporate greed and taking advantage advantage of those less fortunate? You think electing a new president or Congress is the best shot we got at changing that? You can change regulations all you want, but until the hearts of those CEOs and executives is transformed by the love of God, they'll just find another loophole. What do you think the best chance we have is of stopping violent crime? Electing officials who will legislate stiffer penalties? Nope. We've tried that, and it doesn't work. I'll tell you what, though. I know a whole bunch of people, including myself, a whole bunch of you rapscallions in here, used to be as mean as they came. And now we hand out hugs instead of hurting people. There's one reason why that's true. Because King Jesus came and changed us on the inside. You know who you are. Amen. How about the drug epidemic? Is a new leader going to solve that problem? Probably not. It hasn't made a difference in the last thousand years. But I know a bunch of people that used to be slaves to substances that walk around free today because of the power of Christ and his gospel. Praise God. Listen, guys, I'm not saying disconnect, don't be engaged with politics. I... I, I I'm saying absolutely understand what's going on in the culture around you. Don't be ignorant. Don't have no idea what's going on, but don't place your faith in that. Ultimately, the, the, the same answer for what ails humanity has been the same forever, and it's the power of the gospel because the gospel is what has the power to change broken, sinful men and women on the inside. And all of the issues that we face stem from that sin problem. Can't legislate sin away. Not from any, you, you, the judicial branch, the executive branch, or the legislative branch, they could all come together and have a big party, throw all their weight and power at all these problems. They're not getting sin out of the hearts of men and women. Only God can do that through the power of his gospel. And let me be clear, when I say gospel, this is what I mean, it's two parts. First is the bad news, I gotta tell you the bad news, <coughs> or else the good news doesn't make any sense. The bad news of the gospel is this, that God created us perfect and in perfect relationship with him, 
and that we chose to rebel. Every single one of us is a sinner by nature and by choice. God is holy, completely perfect, uh, and many times in the scripture he's compared to light, and, and light and darkness cannot mix. There is, because of sin, there is a distance between every human being and God. And no human has the tools to build a bridge to get back to him. None of us, not enough good works. We couldn't be good for long enough. Uh, we, we couldn't do enough good things or stop doing bad things. Un- the issue is not how many good things you've done, how many bad things you've done. The issue is perfection and imperfection. Only perfection, since God is perfect, only somebody perfect can be in relationship with him. Here's the problem. You're either perfect or imperfect. You can't fix that. You can't change it back. And so because each of us has the stain of sin, there's a separation between us and God. That's the bad news. And it's the worst news you've ever heard if it wasn't followed up by the good news. The good news is this. God loved us so much Knowing that we couldn't fix the problem, he did. And that's why he sent Jesus to come and be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life so that he could step in and stand in as the perfect sinless sacrifice. That's what, that's what uh, Good Friday and Easter was all about. He submitted himself to torture. He paid the price that none of us could pay. Let his blood be spilled. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb. He took all the wrath of God that we deserved. He died. Three days later, he rose from the grave, triumphant over sin and death. And the scriptures tell us this, that in order to receive the righteousness that Christ earned, here's what you gotta do. Believe. I know it doesn't sound right, friends. I know it doesn't seem right. That The math doesn't seem to add up. Because nothing else in life works like this, where somebody else does all the work, somebody else endures all the pain, somebody else pays the price, even though you were the one that caused the issue, and that all you have to do is trust and believe that they did that. And then you get to receive the righteousness that they have. I realize that that doesn't stack up, it doesn't seem right, and I'm telling you, that's why the gospel is scandalous. But it's beautiful. And it's the best news that anybody's ever heard, and it's the only thing that's got the power to change broken hearts. And to make them whole. That's the gospel. That's what you're invited to trust and believe today. That's how you go from being a rebel who's running from God to being a son or a daughter. Will you trust in that gospel? Will you trust in the good word about Christ? Will you, can you believe? That, that is what the scriptures tell us this is all about. I realize there's alternate theories. I realize there's other ways that folks try to go at it to get to God These scriptures are what we have to understand what God thinks about us and him and how it is he wants it to go, and the scriptures are clear. If you're going to approach him, it's going to be by faith. It's going to be by believing. We couldn't earn it ourselves, friends. We needed Jesus' help. Will you trust him today? Can you believe that beautiful good news? We hope that you can, and we would invite you to, because the truth is the gospel is is the only hope for the world. The gospel is the only hope for the world. May we be a people who are fully surrendered to our creator, acknowledging that it is his image upon us. May we be a people who remember we are citizens of an earthly country, but also of a heavenly kingdom. And may we be a people who place our hope in the one person who will not disappoint, Jesus Christ, our Savior King. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for the beauty of your word. I thank you, Lord God, that um, by your Holy Spirit we can navigate complicated and, and difficult issues. And God, I just pray for every single person that's here today. Um, I pray for every single person that didn't like something I said or all of what I said. God, I just ask that uh, your grace would flow through and, and cover those things. I ask you to cover uh, just by your grace and by your help any, any part that, of what I said that was <coughs> inadequate. And um, I just ask God that overall, that the, that the overarching message came through, and that's that um, regardless of what we believe about the specifics of that question, that you, O oh God, are our hope, that your gospel is the hope for all mankind, and, and may our focus, Lord God, be on that. I, I'm just praying, Lord, that you're glorified uh, as we contemplate these things. Lord, I pray for um, the United States. I pray, Lord, for this country. I ask God that, um, that your sovereign will would be done here. Lord, I ask, that, <coughs> I ask that as a country we would come together and declare uh, with one heart and one voice that whatever brings you the most glory is what we desire. Lord, whatever you see fit to do with America, we ask that you would be glorified. Whatever points to your majesty and power, most clearly. We ask, God, that uh, you would anoint us and help us to be ministers and ambassadors of reconciliation and missionaries to this American culture that we live in, Lord. We ask you to equip us for that. We pray for all of our leaders, Lord, in, in every level of government. And we ask, God, that you would... Uh, just continue to strengthen them. We know their jobs are incredibly hard. And we ask, Lord, that they would uh, continually be drawn to yourself more and more. The same thing we, we each pray for ourselves every day, God, that uh, wherever they're at, <coughs> wherever they're at in their journey, that you would be drawing them closer and closer to yourself, Lord, that they would think more like you and be more like you. Their hearts would be full of love and compassion like yours is. And they would have your wisdom. We all need that, Lord. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for America. We thank you, God, that we are here. We know that you appoint the times and places where we live. We are thankful people. Help us, God, to use this incredible privilege that we have uh, for your glory and not only um, for our own enjoyment. Help us not to be selfish. Help us understand the privileged place we stand in history among all peoples throughout all the world. May we use uh, the incredible resources that you've given us, God, for the furthering of your kingdom, the declaring of your gospel, and the glory of your name. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.